Welcome to First Baptist Church Brunswick Podcast. Here at First Baptist Church, we exist to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Listen closely as we hear a word from Pastor Chris Winford. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Daniel and go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, and today we conclude our series on this great book and look at your neighbor and say, oh, I don't believe you, but that's okay. But today we conclude our series, and this is actually uh, sermon number 16 in this this overall series, but um, um, we are in this um, uh, Christmas in Babylon series. It's a mini-series within a series, and as I uh, come to this chapter, as we come to this chapter, I've been asking myself this question pretty much um, all week, and and the past couple weeks has been looking at Daniel chapter 12, and I've been asking, how in the world can we conclude this series? How can we do this? How can we, um, how can we um, to use a, a Christmas analogy, if you will, how can we tie a bow on this book? How can we tie a bow on this and just, I think, do, do justice for this, ser- for this sermon series? But praise the Lord, uh, Daniel chapter 12, in of itself, in of itself, it ties the most perfect bow around this great book. Uh, according to John Walvoord, who is uh, probably the foremost scholar on the book of Daniel, uh, he comes from the Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Walvoord said this, that the fourth vision of the book of Daniel, which is what we're looking at, the fourth vision begins in Daniel chapter 10, but it comes to a climax in Daniel chapter 12. And Walvoord says that Daniel chapter 12, this is the high point of the book. This is, this is the great climax of the book, and in Daniel chapter 12, we see what the ultimate goal is for, for not just the Jewish people, but for, for also those of us who are Gentiles. And so, Daniel chapter 12, this is the highlight of the book. If you want to write out, out beside Daniel chapter 12, you can write, uh, write Revelation chapter 19, because this chapter can correspond with Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, it's the highlight of the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, we read of the hallelujahs that that go up to, to Jesus and to God the Father coming through from the saints. And then in Revelation chapter 19, we see, we see the Son of Man splitting the sky and coming to earth, and he defeats Satan, and it is victory for all of those who claim to be a follower in Jesus Christ. And chapter 19 of Revelation is a highlight of that book. In Daniel chapter 12, we are at the highlight of this book. This is truly the high point of the entire series. And what Daniel is going to do, he is going to conclude this book with a great message of hope. And here's what we're going to see this morning. And, and uh, you know, you look at this chapter, and we only have 13 verses. And guess what? We're going to nail it today. I'm just going to tell you. We're going to get through all 13 verses. We're going to read them. Because here's what we're going to see in this great chapter. We are going to see that there will be an end to the age. Just as there was a beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to see that there is 
an end to this age. We're going to see that there will be a resurrection. And then we're going to see that there are going to be rewards that are given to the faithful. So as we make this connection and as we conclude this series and as we make the connection from from Babylon to Bethlehem to Brunswick and beyond, here's the question that I pose you um, today. Here's the question. I want you to think about this when we are going through this chapter. If you really believe this, if you really believe God's divinely inspired Word If you truly believe the visions of prophecy, which are the second part of the book of Daniel, if you truly believe this, how then will you live? How will you and I live if we truly believe what this prophecy says and what all these prophecies say in this great book? How then shall we live? Well, let's look at this great great chapter. Chapter 12, verse number 1. We're going to begin there. And last week I mentioned that chapter divisions in the Bible are not divinely inspired. Uh, the chapter divisions are, are man's markings just to help us to understand and to read it. Um, and, and so that's not the divinely inspired part. But what I want you to see very quickly from Daniel 12, verses 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4 are actually a continuation from chapter 11. It is the continuation of the vision that the angel gives to Daniel. And so verses 1 through 4 is the vision. At the end of verse 4, the vision stops and then we get the explanation. But in these four verses, I want you to see the four promises that come from the angel that apply to Israel. And on some levels, we can make the same application to us. Here we go. Write this down. Write this down. Here's the first promise. There is the promise of a time of distress. There is a promise of a time of distress. Great distress, or you and I will know it as the great tribulation. Verse number one, and it reads, now at that time, now what is Daniel saying? What is the angel? What is the vision? What does that reference? Now at that time ties directly back to Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 through 45 specifically which talks about the, the horrific reign of the Antichrist but then to his defeat. So now at that time we're talking about this, this great time of distress. Verse 1, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. Now we know who Michael is. We've talked about this in, in previous messages. But Michael is the guardian angel, if you will, is the guardian angel of Israel. So when you see Michael stand up you can bet that something's about to happen. Some scholars will actually say right here uh, that when Michael arises to stand guard over Israel, some scholars will reference, reference this back to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, this is when you see Michael, the archangel, or the great prince here in Daniel chapter 12, we see him uh, go to war in the heavenlies against Satan and his, um, uh, and his allegiance. 
religion. Um, and so some scholars will make that, um, uh, that, that connection. But what we see here, and I want, you to, I want you to see this because I've received this question many times. Well, pastor, are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? Mid-trib? Are you post-trib? Meaning, do I believe is the church going to be here during the tribulation? Well, let me tell you what Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says, and you can make your own conclusions from that, but you will see in this text that the church is not present. You see that? The church isn't present here because Michael arises to defend whom? Your people, which is Israel. So here we see that it's possible that the church is not even in this equation at this time. And so Daniel 12 verse 1 is referencing that 70th week. Are you tracking with me this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm already lost and I have 45 more minutes to go. This is the 70th week. This is the seventh week. This is the last week, which is the tribulation. And so, so you don't necessarily see the church here. And so many scholars will believe, believe that this right here is where the church has been raptured out, and this will be called pre-tribulation. That's what some scholars would, would argue. You're going to have other scholars that would argue differently. You would need to study that and make up your own conclusion on that as well. But let's continue on. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the son of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of there's that word, distress. Such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Now that phrase, time of distress, this is the great tribulation. In Scripture, it's also known as, as, as the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 24 with me. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus, when he is speaking and he's talking about the end times, he actually picks up this same idea from Daniel, and he continues this same um, uh, explanation that there will be a time of distress. So what we're seeing is I want you to see what the Old Testament says about the Great Tribulation. Then I want you to see what the New Testament said through the words of Jesus has to say about the Tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21, it's on the screen behind me, and it reads, it says, the red letters, Jesus speaking. He says, for then, for then there will be a great tribulation such as never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall it be. So Jesus picks up this same theme. And if you were to look back earlier in Matthew chapter 24, he tells us that the great tribulation, this great time of distress, will begin at the abomination of desolation. That's what verse 15, Matthew chapter 24 uh, says. And so Jesus says that there is going to be a time of great distress. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I read Scripture and I come across terms that I don't fully understand, I like to uh, dive into those words. And for those of you who are fairly new here, I, I have a saying uh, that's this, that I like to Greek out every now and then. Would you agree with that, church? Well, we're going to do some Hebrew and some Greek. Can you do, can you do that with me this morning? You're going to be so thoroughly confused after this. And you'll say, yes, pastor, there is a time of great distress, and it's your sermon. That's what you're going to think. I'm just messing with you. But I want, to, I want us to think, what does this, this great distress, this great distress or this great tribulation, what does that really mean? Well, when you look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says a time of distress. The Hebrew word that is used for the word distress, and you want to write this down, it's not on the screen. The Hebrew word is sarah, T-S-A, 
S-O-R-A-H, Sarah. Well, what does that mean? Well, it literally means great agony. I mean, it, it, means, it means great pain. It means a great trouble. Now, the reason I bring this up in Hebrew, and I love the Hebrew language because the Hebrew language is very graphic. It's very graphic, and verbs typically correspond to a noun. Now, let me, let me share what, what I mean by that. In Hebrew, the Hebrew word angry, it means angry, but get this, it also means the flaring of the nostrils. You see, the Hebrew language writes as how, it, how, how, how your body kind of responds to it. Does that make sense? So the Hebrew language, angry, uh, means your, your nostrils flare because when you get angry, your, your nostrils get really, really, really big. And I see some of your nostrils getting big right now, I can tell you that. But I tell you that because when, when you look at the word for, uh, for distress, sarah, the, the verbal noun of that, if you will, you're gonna, this is funny, the verbal noun for sarah, great distress, is this. You, men, you want to write this down. It means rival wife. Do you get the picture, men? Rival wife or an angry wife. And so when I'm studying this, I'm going, man, I can't help but think of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Rivals. Are you with me? Are you with me? And so Hagar, um, she begins to make fun of Sarah because she cannot, she cannot conceive. And, and then Sarah goes to, to Abraham and, and says, you need to get rid of Hagar. And, and, and Abraham, poor, poor Abraham, right? He's caught. He's caught in the middle. He's got rival wives. He has, it's, it is, it's distress, it's great agony. And ultimately Sarah says, you need to get rid of, get rid of Hagar. And, and so, so the point of this, men, I want you to write this down. Men, write this down. You, this is the best news you're ever going to hear, okay? Don't ever be caught between two wives. Amen, men? Don't do that. Don't do that. that that's, that's a bad, bad thing. But do you get the picture? This is great distress. This is, this is pain. This is, this is agony. This is agony that you feel on the outside. It's agony that you feel on, on the inside as well. Well, the Greek word for tribulation, that was the Hebrew. The Greek word for tribulation is philipsis. Let me spell that for you. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Philipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And again, it means that you are under a great amount of pressure. Now, I want you to catch this vision, okay? Because we're talking about the great tribulation. It is not going to be a good time. This Greek word philipsis gives us the picture, um, and it's used in, 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 the, in the olive press industry. Philipsis means that you are squeezing olives in a press to get all of the juice or the oils out of that olive. You are under undue pressure. Go with me real quick to the Garden of Gethsemane. Go there with me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus is arrested, and the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. Are you with me? He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what he did? He prayed. And when he prayed, because he was under so much pressure, intense pressure, what did he do? He what? He sweat drops of blood. 
which is a legit medical condition that comes from an unbelievable amount of pressure. The Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane literally means the place where the olive is pressed. Think about that for a moment. God took Jesus, whom we celebrate His birth at this Christmas time. God sent His Son, Jesus, into a very type of tribulation so that you and I can be ultimately rescued from it. Jesus went through that garden of Gethsemane. He literally walked through an olive press. The garden of Gethsemane, it is, it is an olive tree grove. It is a garden. You see all of the olive trees around there. He was pressed, philipsis. All of this tribulation fell upon Jesus. It fell upon his shoulders so that you and I do not have to experience that for all eternity. I want you to write this down. Write down this next phrase because this is what we're going to see. Another promise we'll see from Daniel 12 verse 1 is the promise of a rescue. There will be a great tribulation. It will come at the end. It will come in the 70th week. But there will be a promise of a rescue. Look at verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, at that time of the tribulation, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Certain that, circle that word rescued. We're going to come to that in just a second. But what this vision shows us, that in the tribulation, that we know that God says the tribulation cannot continue forever. I have to make it stop. And he will make the tribulation stop, and he will rescue the people. Now, who is being rescued? Look at your text. Allow the text to tell you who is being rescued. Your people and what else? Everyone who's found written in the book. So what that means is every person who has ever been written in the book, you will be delivered and you will be saved. Now, what book is that? Look at your neighbor and say this. It's the Lamb's book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Write this down. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 talks about the Lamb's book of life. What does that mean? I want you to listen. If you're watching by Facebook or by our website, and if you're in this room or if you're in uh, Beach Hall or Twitty Chapel, I want you to hear this. God is keeping a record. God is keeping a book. God is watching what we do down here on this earth. And this vision tells us that there will be a great rescue. But listen, listen, church. Those who are rescued are those whose names are found written in the book. In other words, if your name is not found written in that book, you will not be rescued. There will be a great rescue. Again, let's do a little more Hebrew and Greek for you. The Hebrew word for rescue is the word malat, M-A-L-A-T. And it, it, again, it literally means to be delivered. It means to be set free. Um, it is salvation. Um, malat, translated into Greek, you use the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. Sozo is where you and I get our word soteriology. Do you know what that word means? 
It's the study of salvation. Soteriology. This is what we're talking about, about being rescued. When you and I are saved, we are delivered. We have been rescued. Rescued from what? Tribulation. Tribulation. Eternal tribulation. I mean, look with me. Go over with me to um, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. That's in the Old Testament. Are y'all with me this morning? Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And this is what Joel prophesies. And he says this. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Malat. There's the Hebrew word. The same thing that Daniel prophesied. You will be delivered. You will be set free. We're talking about salvation. This is consistent what the New Testament, through the pen of Paul, who writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, when Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the Greek word sozo, salvation. And so what we learn here from Daniel chapter 12, very, very quickly, within this great vision that he sees, which is the high point of this book, it is this, there is salvation. There is salvation. Daniel, his people have been in, in, in exile for over 70 years. They have been depressed. They have been defeated. But God, through his angels to Daniel, says, tell the people there is a way of salvation. You can be saved. So here's the question that we have to ask at this Christmas season in 2020. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? So we see in this vision that Daniel sees that there is a promise of a great tribulation. We see a promise of a great rescue. And the third thing we see this is a promise of a great resurrection. Great resurrection. Look at, again, verse number two. Take a little break here for a second. I promise you I'm going to make it through verse number 13. But look at verse number two, the promise of a resurrection. I want you to see this. Verse number two, and again, if you're listening and you question, and questioning is fine, I understand the questions, and, and we don't want to run away from questions, but you know, I, I've had multiple people throughout my life say, you know, it really doesn't matter what we do on this planet, that all religions end up in the same place. Are you with me? Because the overwhelming thought process of people today is we're all going to end up in the same place. Do you understand that? That's the overwhelming thought process. That we're all going to end up in the same place. Well, the vision that Daniel, chapter, that Daniel sees in Daniel chapters 10, 11, 12, he refutes that theology right there. Because in verse 2, we see the fate of every soul ever born. And there's only two places. Follow along. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. There's that resurrection. These to everlasting life. And just to let you know that phrase, everlasting life. It's the only time those two words are used together in the Old Testament. It's the book of Daniel. 
Now, the Old Testament does talk about life, life eternal, but it's the only time it's used together. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake at the resurrection, these everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The angel tells Daniel that everybody will live forever somewhere, meaning this earth is not all that there is. You will live forever, either eternal, everlasting life, or an everlasting contempt. Those who believe in the Messiah, that Jesus the Christ is the Messiah, they'll live forever in the presence of Christ. Paul catches this theme again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says this, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will be revealed with him also in glory. Meaning, you profess Christ as the Messiah, this Christ child whom we celebrate at Christmas. You recognize him as Christ the Messiah, then you will be resurrected to everlasting life. And the belief and the teaching of the Bible is this, that believers in Christ are promised They are promised to be raised immortal, to be raised incorruptible, to be raised with a new body, to be healthy, to be whole, to be what you were created to be. That's what the Bible teaches us. But for those who do not believe the Messiah is Christ Jesus and they do not bow their knee to Christ Jesus, then that resurrection will be a very terrifying experience. And so this resurrection is not a resurrection for salvation, but this is a resurrection for judgment. Go to Isaiah chapter 66. The very last chapter in the book of Isaiah, the very last verse, verse 24. What I'm showing you is that the Bible is consistent in the belief and the teaching that it's either eternal life or eternal distress or eternal contempt. Look at verse number 24. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. Meaning, if you do not bow your knee to Christ Jesus, look at what happens to them. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. So I want you to get the picture. Are you still with me this morning? Is this pretty heavy? Yeah? Did you feel bad when you came in this morning? Probably feel worse? Well, you got to feel worse before you get the good news. And so Daniel sees this vision. He says there's going to be a time of distress that this world has never seen. But there is hope that there's going to be a rescue. And that there is hope that there's going to be a resurrection. But there are two places that you and I are going to end up to go. One of two places. And this vision details that there is a great day coming. There's a great day coming. Therefore, we need to be ready. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the last promise. The promise of rewards. Look at verse number 3. But don't read it just yet. Don't read it. Just look at it. Don't read it. Just glance at it. But this is the promise of rewards. 
Verse number three, this is the verse that convinced me to do this miniseries called Christmas in Babylon, because we're trying to connect Babylon to Bethlehem to Brunswick. And so I was trying to figure all of this out. I'm like, Lord, you got to show me. And he showed me this verse, chapter 12, verse three. He showed it to me. But let me set this up for you. When we started this series, Christmas in Babylon, we started in Daniel chapter nine. And we're trying to make the connection from Babylon to Bethlehem. In Daniel chapter 9, we read that Daniel is spoken to by an angel. By the angel's name is Gabriel. Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, you are highly favored. This same Gabriel, this same angel approaches Mary and tells, tells her that you are going to be, uh, you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And this angel, Gabriel, tells Mary the very same thing she, he told uh, Daniel, you are highly favored. There's a connection. In Daniel 10, we saw of the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany, making himself known to Daniel. We know that in Bethlehem, when we celebrate Christmas, we know that Jesus is the incarnation of God. He has come in the flesh. There's a connection. Last week in Daniel chapter 11, we learned of the three kings. We learned of the magi and the connection that we made with Daniel and the connection to the kings in the Christmas story. But what is one of the most important elements of the Christmas story? It's the star, right? It's the star, and everybody's going to see the Bethlehem star tomorrow evening. Isn't that right? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what pastor's talking about, but I'm going to get it here in a few minutes. Bethlehem star is going to show up at, at uh, dusk tomorrow night. First time we'll see this in about 800 years. But the star, what's important about the star in the Christmas story? The star is what led these wise men to the, wise men to the Christ child. The star led them to see righteousness. Well, let's read verse 3 and be in awe. Be in awe of what we read. Here's the rewards. Those who have insight will shine brightly, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? Nobody said yes. That's okay. What this verse tells us and what this vision tells us, the vision that Daniel sees and he wants to communicate to all of us is this, that what we do on this earth matters in eternity. That what you and I do on this earth matters in eternity. And within context, the con- within context is a tribulation. So you could say it matters when you are in persecution, when you are under pressure, it matters what you and I do here on the earth in the midst of persecution, it matters in eternity. What you do matters. It makes a difference. The psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 10 says this, the years of our life are 70 and if we have enough strength then maybe 80, but yet our time on earth is spent in toil and trouble. Soon we are gone and we fly away. What the psalmist is saying and what this verse is saying in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 is this, what we do on earth makes a huge difference in all of eternity. 
And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says two things. That if you do these two things, you will shine as bright as that Bethlehem star. It's two things. Are you ready? Look at your name and say, I'm ready. Two things. Number one, gain insight. He says, those who have insight. Well, what in the world does that mean? Those who have insight means this. You read God's word and you live God's word. That's what it means. You learn it, you read it, you study it, and you know it, and you live it. And the second thing is this, that you lead many to righteousness. Meaning this, you tell the Christmas story. Do you see it? Do you see it? Two things, you you study God's word, you live God's word, and then you lead many to righteousness. Meaning this, that you shine like the star of Bethlehem that led the wise men to the Savior. Do you get it? One of the complaints that I have heard about the Old Testament is this, that the Old Testament does not tell you to be, doesn't tell you to share your faith or to be evangelistic. Well, what does verse 3 say? It says you share your faith. You share your faith. And when you share your faith, you will shine like the stars forever and ever. Anybody know the, uh, the Hollywood Walk of Stars? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know that? Two hands go up. I'm hoping to get five today. You know it. And we see the Hollywood Walk of Stars, and we've all seen on TV that those, those actors who get, uh, uh, get selected to be in there, and sometimes they'll put their hands in the cement and whatnot, and everybody celebrates all of these stars, celebrate these actors. We, we look up to these actors, and, and, and millions of people look at them. But here's a question for you. Who are God's stars? I will tell you this. God's stars are not the ones that the world applauds. Are you with me? God's stars are not the one the world applauds. Meaning you and I do not live to seek the applause of man. We seek the applause of one. So that when we do enter into eternity, we hear these words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We live for the audience of one. And when you and I live for the audience of one, you will shine like the stars. You will shine. See, God's stars lead many to righteousness. Who, who, who are they? Here's some, I, I wrote some, some things down. Like, who are God's stars? It's, it's the mother who patiently teaches her children about Jesus. Moms, when you're trying to control and corral your four-year-old and your five-year-old and your six-year-old and you're trying to tell them about Jesus and you're losing your mind, you're a star. You're a star in God's eyes because you're teaching your children about Jesus. The business person, the businessman, the businesswoman who, who answers questions from their friends 
They see something in you, and you take time to answer the question. You are God's stars. The son who witnesses to his parents, you are God's star. The coach who shares Christ with their players, you are God's star. The friend who tells their buddies about Christ, you are God's stars. The Sunday school teacher who has devoted their life to teaching children and to teaching students, uh, and you pray for them to be saved, you are God's stars, and you will shine. You may not get the applause of mankind, but that's not what we live for. We live for uh, the, the, the applause of God. We live to be rewarded, to be shining like the stars in heaven forever and ever and ever. It's the young couple who surrenders their life to go to reach the unreached people groups on the, on the other side of the world that nobody will ever hear about. They will never know the fruit of their labors. We may never know anything about them until we get to heaven and their stars will shine brightly. That's the star. That's the star that's rewarded. Because when we tell somebody about Christ Jesus, then our star will shine for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And the Hollywood walk of fame, the Hollywood walk of stars will cease to exist. Well, it's about as good as I can do this morning. Let's finish this. I've got about 10 minutes to go through nine verses. 10 verses. Here we go. Write this down. The prophecy is complete. The prophecy is complete. Verse number four, uh, the vision is ended, and now we're starting to see some explanation of it. Verse four, let's go through this quickly. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Uh, Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. This basically means two things. Uh, This is what uh, they're trying to show Daniel, and he's he's communicating this to us. Number one, this prophecy, this vision, it's complete. Which means you and I cannot add to it and you and I cannot subtract from it. Sounds a lot like the book of Revelation, doesn't it? We cannot add nor take away. This is complete. And so what Daniel did when he wrote this down, he rolled it up to like a scroll and he put a seal on it. Meaning it is done. Sounds very similar also to what Jesus said on the cross. It is what? It's complete. It's done. It has happened. So the complete the vision is complete. This is what God has said. This is what God has decreed about the end time. Now look at that very last phrase in verse 4 when it says, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Scholars debate on what that really, really means, but, but what I believe that that means is this, that this book of Daniel will grow in significance in the end times. I believe it'll grow. In the end times, we'll see more and more people want to know about the end times because we want to know what the future holds. And so I just believe that that's what's going to happen. People are wanting to know what it says, and knowledge is going to increase, but the vision, the prophecy is complete. Verse number five, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on the bank of that, on on the river. Verse six, and one said to the man dressed in linen, by the way, who's the man dressed in linen? Everybody say the pre-incarnate Christ. Awesome, that's it. It's Christ, it's a Christophany. He's made himself known. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Apparently the angel wants to know when this is going to happen. Isn't that consistent with the rest of Scripture? That who's the only one who knows the time? 
God the Father, even the angels want to know. Oh, tell us, when will this be? Verse 7, and I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. I want you to stop there for just a second. That's the second time Daniel said, who was above the waters. Do you see that? He said that two different times. Why in the world would Daniel say, here he is, he is above the waters of the river. This is why I believe Daniel is making that description that the man dressed in linen, which is a Christophany, which is the pre-incarnate Christ, he is standing above the rivers. Picture this, rivers which run out of control cause great distress and tribulation, right? Jesus is above that. You get it? Listen, listen. Jesus stands above the very thing that causes you and I distress. Jesus stands above the very thing that causes tribulation in our life. You remember the story of Peter walking on water? Do you remember that? Jesus comes walking on water and Peter says, like, oh, I think I can do that. Hey, Jesus! And, and Jesus says, Peter, come out and walk on water, right? He walks on the water. And he starts walking, and then tribulation, distress, waves, they come crashing, and what happens? Peter starts sinking, and then Peter says these words, Lord, save me. Why would Peter cry out to Jesus, save me? Because he's above the water. Jesus stands above the very thing that we drown in so often. Do you get the visual? Daniel wants you to know that this man, this Christ that we celebrate at Christmas, this Christ, he stands above the things that cause us the greatest distress. Well, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. And as he raised his right hand and he raised his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. What in the world? But as we've walked through this text and through this, this book, you should know this should sound familiar to you. Time, times, and half the time. This was referenced in Daniel chapter 7. It's also referenced in Revelation chapter 12. This references, you ready for this? You might want to write this down. It references the three and a half years of the tribulation. This is the time when the Antichrist makes himself known as who he really is. Do you remember the first three and a half years of the tribulation? The Antichrist, he's a pretty good guy, right? But then he what? He turns. That's three and a half years, which equals out to 42 months. This all comes from the, the prophecy and the vision of 70 weeks. It's 42 months, which equals out to, I want you to write this down, 1,260 days, according to the Jewish calendar. I want you to write down, write down 1,260 because we're going to see some numbers here in just a second, okay? Verse number seven. And as soon, he says, this is when it's going to end, have times, times, and half a time, verse seven, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people. This is God saying, I'm, 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 I'm complete with my judgment of Israel. All these events will be completed. And now watch this. Write this down. Write this down. The final word is to persevere. Write this down. The final word is to persevere. Daniel doesn't fully understand this, but he wants to know how we are to live in this prophecy. Uh, look at verse uh, number 8. And he says this, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Meaning, what, what do I do? 
What do I do? How then shall I live? Let me give you four things, and we're going to close. And it's all within Daniel 12, 9 through 13. Here you go. Number one, this is what God's going to tell Daniel, and it's the same for us today. Number one, run your own race. Run your own race. Look at verse number nine. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed, and they're sealed up when? Until the end time. Meaning, it's already been decreed. It's already been declared. Therefore, Daniel, go on your way. Don't be consumed when that time. Just know it's coming. Go your way. Now watch verse number 10. Because he now says, because many will be purged. What does that mean? That means there are going to be some Jewish people and some believers who are going to be taken out. They're purged, right? Some are going to be purified and refined as refiner's gold. That's what he's talking about. But the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Folks, stop right there for a second. Are we living in a day when the wicked do not understand? You better believe it. You and I can explain the gospel in the best, clearest possible way, and many will look back at you and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? This is a prophecy. And the wicked will not understand, but those who have insight will understand. And so, and so the word to Daniel, the word to you and I is we still need to run our own race. Look at verse number 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Anybody see a difference? Anybody see a difference? Earlier we said what? Yeah, 1,260 Where did this number come from? Here's what scholars believe, because I could preach an entire message on that one, and I mean, if you want me to, I will right now. But scholars believe this, that in those 30 days, from 1,260 to 1,290, it represents when God is judging the nations. You read in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24 and in 25, you read when God judges the nations. There's a lot of people. It's going to take some time. But the message is still the same. You run your own race. In other words, God is telling Daniel and he's telling us, you can't be concerned about somebody else other than sharing the gospel with them. Does that make sense? God has called each one of you to run a specific race. You run what God asks you to do, and you do what God asks you. You can't run my race. I can't run your race. But you run your race, and you, in your time, will stand before the Lord of lords. Here's number two, the second thing that we learn, and we look at verse number 12, is this. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Verse number 12. How blessed is he who keeps, what? Waiting. And attains to the 1,335 days. Look at your neighbor and say, what? Let me tell you what scholars believe this. I think this is beautiful. Scholars believe that from the 1,260 days to the 1,290 days is the judging of the nations. From 1,290 to the 1,335 days, this is when Christ is setting up the millennial reign when the saints will reign with him. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you read Scripture, and I did a lot of studying on this this week, is that 
During that millennial reign, guess who reigns with him? We do. And how we reign is based on how we handle the gifts that he gives us now. Remember the gift of the talents? When God said, I gave, gave five here, I gave three here, I gave one here. Do you remember that? The five multiplied, and God said, boom, I'm going to give you more. The three multiplied, I'm going to give you more. I'll give you more uh, responsibility. The one said, oh, God, I knew that you would be a great judge in God, and I buried it. And what did he say to him? It is quite possible that in the millennial reign, you and I will reign with Christ, but what you reign over is according to what you do with their gifts now. So what has God gifted you with? What has God gifted you to do? Remember, because what you do on this earth matters in eternity. Here's number three. Here's number three, and we'll look at verse number 13. Number three, be confident of your eternity, for you will rise again. And everybody says, thank you, Jesus. But as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. Live your life. And then you'll enter into rest and you'll rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Be confident. Those of you who have confessed Christ as your Messiah, be confident in your eternity and be confident that you will be raised again when Jesus Christ returns. That's how you live. And here's the last thing and then we'll be done. And you say, thank you, Jesus. The last thing, how we are to live And this has been the whole theme of the book of Daniel. Trust God because he has all things under control. He has all things under control. We don't need to worry about it because God has got it under control. You know, I ran across a statement this past week, and I think it's good. It's a good reminder for us, and it was this. Christians should be the calmest people on the earth. It's a pretty good comment, isn't it? I think that's pretty good. And I believe that's true because I don't think we have a right to run around wringing our hands, not when God is on his throne. God is on his throne. We do not need to worry. God is going to work out his purposes on this earth. And all he wants you to do is simply to run your race, to wait upon him, and be confident in your eternity that you will be raised again. You go all the way back to to the beginning of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel begins with tragedy. Israel has been destroyed, and it looks like evil has overcome good. And it begins with tragedy. But by the end, when we read Daniel chapter 12, here's what we learn. That God has turned all the evil into the good for his glory. And by the end of Daniel chapter 12, we see this. That the nations of this earth have been destroyed. The Antichrist has been destroyed. We see that Israel has been delivered. We see that Satan has been raised. And we see that God's kingdom has been established. What starts with defeat ends in a great and glorious victory. And so Daniel says, so Dan, and so God says to Daniel, Now Daniel, just go about your business. Gain insight. Tell others about me and rest in me. Because a better day is coming. A better day is coming. You know, at Christmas time, uh, I miss our dog, Titan. (laughs) It's amazing how pets can become family, right? I miss our dog, Titan. And one of the Christmas 
uh, traditions we had when Titan was, was, was still with us. He would, we would hang candy canes on the Christmas tree. Apparently, he thought we did that for him. Because we'd hang it, we'd turn it back, he'd go around, grab it, and go off to a corner and eat the candy cane. He had the best breath in the world at Christmas time, which is really amazing. Um, but, but what I really miss about Titan, he was a big Weimar Reiner, uh, almost 90 pounds, 100 pounds, big guy, but just a loving, loving dog. Um, his love language was touch. Everywhere you went, he wanted to be near you, especially when you would sit down. When you would sit down, whether you're sitting down on the couch or you're sitting down on the floor or where you're laying in bed, he would look up at you so that he could, so I could give him permission or my wife could give him permission to jump onto the couch, which everybody says no to the dogs, but eventually what happens? Or in the bed. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. And every time, he would come snuggle up next to you, and then he would take his head and just lay it on your lap. He would just lay his head on your lap, and then he would look at you with those eyes, those eyes of trust, and he would look up at me and say, I think he would say, Chris, you're the greatest master ever. <laughs> But he would just look up at you with his head on my lap. And he would look up at me at that way, or he's my wife too. He'd be calm. He would be secure. And he knew that he could put his head on my lap because he knew that I was going to provide for him food. I was going to provide shelter. I was going to provide comfort. And I was going to provide companionship to him. And so he would come and lay his head on my lap because he trusted me. I think the imagery is the same for us as believers in Christ. That we just come and nestle up next to our Heavenly Father. And we just place our head in his lap. Because he promises to rescue us. He promises to deliver us. He promises to restore us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And all he simply says is, won't you come and place your head in my lap and trust me. This Christmas season, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for 2020 to be over. Anybody with me on that one? 2021 may be just as bad. I don't know. But, but as we end this year, many of us have lost loved ones. We've gone through difficulties. But through it all, God has remained the same. He's been faithful. And so as we close this year, as we close this series, let's just snuggle up next to our Heavenly Father. And let's put our head in His lap and look up, him, up at Him and say, God, 
Jesus, you are the greatest master. And I trust you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I stand amazed at the prophecies that you revealed in the book of Daniel. And Lord, honestly, it scares me about the trials and the tribulations that will come. Father, I long for the world to have peace. I want that. But I know, Father, that your word says that you're the only one who can offer peace. Father, we just want to say to you, God, we just want to sit down next to you and place our head in your lap and allow the peace of God to cover us. Thank you that you will deliver us. We look forward to that. Father, for those who are here this morning who have never placed their head in your lap for salvation, I pray that today would be that day. That they would come next to you and acknowledge you as the Savior of this world who died on the cross for us. And I pray that they'll trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.